Well, hey, we're in the middle of our series called Choose Joy, and uh, Chuck spoke uh, last week on the joy of selflessness, and I just want to add to that because selflessness, honestly, is something that we all struggle with. We're much more comfortable being selfish than we are being selfless, and uh, so we want to talk about how we can not be selfless and choose joy. Now, I was thinking that one of the joyous moments of my life uh, took place about 10 years ago when I became a dad for the very first time. And then two years later, I became a dad again. And here's the byproduct of that. Uh, those two goofy girls I love, and uh, they're a lot of fun. And the past two years, I have uh, started a new tradition in our family on the Thursday before Easter, uh, we've done this for the last several years. I uh, bring the Bible out and we talk about what happened to Jesus on his last night. And then also uh, we share communion with one another. And then I actually wash both of those goofy girls' feet. Now, some of you might be thinking right now, you wash your daughter's feet? My kids' feet smell. I mean, they really, really smell. Are you telling me that just because you're a pastor boy that your kids' feet don't smell? No, I'm not saying that. In fact, my daughter Jordan, I would put her feet up against any feet in this whole place. Because she plays soccer, and I mean at the end of soccer sometimes, it is so bad. I mean, it's toxic. We've seen paint come off of walls before. You know, we've had to repaint her room. And now the reason, though, that I that I wash their feet on this particular day and we we've done this is not because their feet smell, but because I want them to see the servant that I follow. I want them to understand what it means to have an act of selflessness. I want them to see that their hero, at least for right now at 10 and 8, I know that'll change when they're teenagers, but at least right now. Their hero doesn't mind getting on his knees and washing the feet of them to model to them what the king of the universe, the person that I follow and surrender to, did. Now, some of you might be thinking, I don't know this whole Bible Jesus thing very much, but you're telling me this guy, Jesus, actually washed people's feet? Yeah, he did. In fact, he didn't just wash one person's feet, but he washed 12 people's feet, his disciples, his best friend. Now think of that. The Son of God, the one from heaven, the second of the Trinity, God of very God, who is there at the beginning when everything was created, he actually lowers himself and becomes selfless to serve others. Even those who would betray him and deny him. But why? Why did Jesus do this? Well, on the night before the cross, they had a dinner. And for some odd reason, uh, they forgot to call the feet washing boy, whose role was a servant or a slave. You see, what you need to realize is in Jesus' day, no one had shoes. 
they either were barefoot or they wore sandals. And everything that you can imagine that was inside a house was thrown out onto roads. And animals went down these roads. And so every time a person would be out there, their feet would get really nasty and smelly and stinky and dirty. And you didn't want that coming into your house. And so you would hire a servant or a slave to wash their feet when they walked into the house. And for some reason, the guys who put the dinner together didn't get get a hold of the feet washing boy. And so when they walk in, they're all like, I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm not washing anyone's stinky feet with all that junk on it. I'm not doing that. And Jesus is like, I got it, guys. And he gets down and he washes the feet of every single one of them. And he models for them that the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the one who lowers himself to serve. In fact, Scripture puts it this way. Jesus came to serve, not be served, and then to give away his life. In other words, what Jesus said, what this life is all about, folks, is others first. Others first. And that's our big idea this morning. And you can write that down. Okay? Others first. And that's the the key to the way Jesus lived his life. Every time he walked down a road, others first. Every time he saw other people, others first. Folks, at the heart of selflessness is actually putting others first. Now, you might ask, why? Why should I be selfless? I mean, it doesn't sound like there's much reward to that. Like, if I put others first, that means I'm not first, so that means I don't receive any reward. Well, actually, that's not true. The very first point I want to talk about selflessness this morning. Why should you do it? Because selflessness actually leads to rewards. In the letter that we've been looking at all summer, Philippians, which was written by this guy by the name of Paul, he talks about the act of selflessness that Jesus lived out and what rewards he received. In chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, which Chuck touched on a little bit last week, but I really want to dig in today. In verse 9, it says this, because of this, and what is this? This is the fact that he lowered himself. He not only washed feet, but he went one step further. He actually, the one who knew no sin, who had not caused any trouble whatsoever, he died a criminal's death and took on all of your sin on a cross. Because of this, then here's the reward. God raised him up to the highest of heaven and gave him a name which is above every other name. And so there's Jesus. He was spit on. He's tortured. He's whipped. He's nailed to a cross. You look at him and you finally are like, uh, how could this guy ever receive any reward? It's a criminal's death. Look how weak he is. Look how inferior he is. If he is so great, if he's so strong, why can't he come down the cross? And that's what the Jewish leaders said. And he's dying there. And why does he do that? Because of his great love for you. He is head over hills in love with you. And if you were the only person on planet earth during that moment, he wouldn't have said, oh, let's get a few more people because I'm not so sure about this one. No, no, no. He'd say, 
I'll die for them. Folks, at the end of the day, the question that you have to ask yourself is this. Do you believe that there is a good, good Father, a good, good God, a good, good Savior who sees and knows and He records and He rewards? So why should I choose selflessness? Because selflessness actually rewards us. Now on Father's Day, I know some of you guys are single dads. And so you go to work and then you pick them up from daycare and then you come back and you try to put everything together and you get the food together and you get it all done and you think to yourself, man, this is a thankless job, but God sees and God rewards. The dad who works long hours, maybe you take on two jobs sometimes and you try to do this to provide for your kids. No one may see, but God sees and God will reward. The dad who decides, hey, I'm going to put aside my hobbies, my self-interest. I'm not going to, uh, you know, get as big and buff as some of these other guys that I work with because I'm not going to spend all the time in the gym. But I'm going to play Monopoly. And I'm going to play Uno. And I'm going to do all the things that are there to try to engage with my kids and spend quality time with them. And even though you think no one sees these things, God sees. And God will reward. The guy who comes here to the jar and they say, you know what? I'm going to model to my kids the importance of what it means to serve the church. And so you get here early for setup or you do tear down or you play in the band or you work upstairs with the kids or you work in a small group or in hospitality. You do something and you're modeling this to the people around and you're like, no one ever sees what I do. Yeah, there is someone that does. God sees. And God will reward. And the dad who uh, makes it a priority to say, if our family's here in Muncie on Sunday, we're going to be at church. And even when they're compli- complaining and whining, and they're like, ah, I don't want to go, you know, all that kind of stuff. You're like, no, 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 we're going to go. We're going to be there. And you model that time and time again. And even though you think, well, it's not really that big a deal, it really isn't. No, 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 no. God sees. And God will reward. Now, do you ever find yourself, guys, sometimes though, when you're trying to do all of this and you're like, oh, how, how are we going to do it all? Do you ever wonder this question, what's the use? Like, what's the use of, of living selflessly and putting others first and making church a priority and my kids a priority and all of this? Like, what's the use? Well, honestly, there's no use if there is no God. If there's no God, there's no use. But there is a God. And that God sees and he knows and he's recording and he rewards. The point is this. Selflessness leads to rewards. God exalted Jesus, it says. He raised him up to the highest heaven and gave him the name above Every other name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's Jesus Christ. I mean, I get why he's going to reward him. Look what he did on the cross. He's the son of God. He, that's his flesh of very flesh. I see why he would do that. But why would God reward me? Is he really going to reward me, Chris? Yes, he will. In fact, Scripture tells us that. Here's one example. The Scripture says this. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord... And he will, what's it say? 
lift you up. Is that a reward? Yeah, he says if you humble yourself, he's going to lift you up. Here's another scripture. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and in good time, he will, what's it say? He'll honor you. He's actually going to honor you. But that's going to be really hard, isn't it, uh, to do that? Yeah, it is. But that's why the scripture goes on to say this. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about what happens to you. Proverbs 29:23. Pride ends in humiliation. Wow. Humility brings what? What's the word again? Honor. He brings, God doesn't just have you do stuff, just to, he, he says, I'll reward you. Folks, throughout the, uh, throughout the Bible, selflessness leads to rewards. And the reason is, those rewards bring us into a pathway of joy that we get to experience, both on this side of heaven and in heaven. Now, in referring to the greatest selfless person ever known, Paul speaks into Jesus Christ's life. He says this again. Because of this, God raised him up to the highest of heaven and gave him a name which is above every other name. The name that is above every name. Look at the person beside you. Wake them up if they've fallen asleep, okay? And just tell them, every name. Tell them, every name. You say, well, I thought of a pretty important name, Chris. I thought of this important name that's a pretty high name. This is the name I'm thinking about. And I think, no, you didn't. There is no name that is above the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 10. So that at that name of Jesus, what's the next word? Every, there's that word again. Every knee will bow. How many knees are going to bow? How, how many does that include? Every. All. They're all going to do it. Now, you might be thinking, yeah, man, but I know this one guy. He's a big Harley dude. He's got tats everywhere. He looks like he could kill someone. He walks into work sometimes. And I'm just scared to see him walking in. And he's walking in. I don't think he's going to bow. He's going to bow. He's going to bow. Anyone and everyone that you think of, they are going to bow. And so every knee will bow in heaven. What's that mean? That means all the angels, everyone who has ever died before and is in heaven, all those knees will excitedly bow down. They'll do it willingly. So that's in heaven. But then it goes on to say, not only in heaven, but where else? On earth. So that means everyone who is here, when Jesus Christ comes, every knee is going to bow Whether they believed in Christ or they don't, if they're close to God or they're far from God, all their knees are going to bow. In heaven and on earth, and then what does it say? Under the earth. What's that mean? Every demonic spirit, every person who chose to walk away and not choose Christ and have nothing to do with him whatsoever, and those who choose themselves to follow Satan, Satan himself, folks, in that moment, his knees are going to bow. Every knee will bow. Verse 11, and every tongue will confess. What's that mean? Not just they're going to say it, they're actually going to have to say, this is true. This is true, that Jesus Christ is, what's it say? Lord. Now, 
God's son had a particular name when he was here on planet Earth for 33 years. What was his name? You're so much smarter than the first celebration. I asked that and no one said a word. Jesus, 33 years, that's it. But once he ascended into heaven and he took his rightful place at the right side of the Father, he gets a different name and that name is Lord. How do I know this? In Revelation, the Bible says this, on his robe and on his thigh, that is Jesus, on his robe and on his thigh, God's son, he has a name written, King of Kings and what? Lord of Lords. That's the reward of selflessness that Jesus received. He said, hey, everyone in heaven, I want you to see right now, you know who this is? This is the Lord. Think about that. You walk around. You the Lord? Yeah. I'm it. Not Jesus Christ. Not Jesus. Not the little Jewish boy. Not the carpenter. He walks around and everybody knows he's Lord. The Father says, I want you to see who this is on that first moment when he ascended into heaven. You are the Lord. If you would, because we don't say this enough, sometimes we don't use this language, but we really should. I'd like you to turn to the person beside you, because this is a true statement, and just tell them, he is Lord. Okay, so go ahead, do that real quick. And that's the crux of this teaching. Now, I only work two hours a week, so I have a lot of free time on my hands. I know what you think. So uh, I did a little Google search this week, and I Googled the name Jesus, and in .55 seconds, there were 894 million hits that you could go to in the midst of that. Now, the reality is this. Everyone in this gym knows the name Jesus. But this is a question that I have for you this morning. Do you know him as Lord. Is he Lord? Dads, men, this is your day. And I want to ask you a question. A series of questions. First of all is this. Is he Lord of your life or are you? Is he Lord of your house or are you? Now I'm going to meddle a little bit. Is he Lord of your money or are you? Is he big man on campus in everywhere you walk or are you? You see, folks, knowing about Jesus and respecting Jesus and even loving Jesus is not enough. But you must finally come to the point where you bow the knee and you believe and you say, He is Lord over me. So why should I choose selflessness? Because selflessness leads to rewards. Here's the second reason. Selflessness moves us to worship. It moves us to actually take the focus off of ourselves and to worship. Now, there's a lot of confusion with this word worship 
today. And so I, I want to just give a, a very simple definition. It'll come on the side screens. Worship is anything that you do that brings pleasure to God. That's it, folks. And did you know you were designed for God's pleasure? God wasn't lonely like, oh, I'm so lonely. I need to create something. Because if he would have known the way we turned out, you know. But no, no, no. He said, I'm creating them for my pleasure. I like to see what they do. I like to see them enjoy life. I like to see the gifts that they have and how they grow them. I, they give me pleasure. The moment that you were born, God had this huge smile on his face. He's like, they're arrived now. They're here. God did not need to create you. He chose to create you for his enjoyment. And you bring God great enjoyment. Living for his pleasure. And that is the essence of worship. Folks, worship is not just about coming to church. People will use that phrase sometimes. I'm going to worship today. Well, what did you do yesterday? Worship is not a style. It's not the style of music we do or the style of this church. Worship is a lifestyle. 24-7, every day, you live a lifestyle that there is one who is Lord that is not me. And I want to bring great joy to him because he has pleasure in me. Scripture says this. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. In other words, when you wake up in the morning, you worship. When you go to work, you're in worship. When you come back, you worship. When you recreate, you worship. When you are in the midst of painting, worship. Even if you're mowing the yard, you can do it if you dedicate it to God to worship. I'll put my headphones on. I start moving and I'm moving around. I'm so glad that the neighbors usually can't see us because I want the act that I'm doing to be a form of worship because worship is not a style. It's a lifestyle. So selflessness moves us to worship and worship is anything that brings pleasure to God. So what is this concept of selfless worship actually look like? And this is it. That the heart of selfless worship is one word, and the word is surrender. I surrender. At the heart of selfless worship is an attitude of surrender. Now, the truth is, we don't like this word surrender, do we? We don't like it in our culture. Because the word surrender has this concept of being a loser or losing. Uh, This year... uh, I've asked my, my daughters to say, to, I ask them that when they're on the playground for recess, like, what are some of the mean things that kids say to one another? And they'll say, the meanest thing they'll say is they'll say, loser. I'm like, you better not be telling other kids that. They're like, oh, no, Daddy, we don't. We heard it from all the other church kids. Those are the ones that uh, have taught them that word. Just joking, just joking. And I'll say, loser. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, what if you really want to tick them off? And they said, well, what we say is, what they say, not me, Dad, but what they say is whatever major loser. I'm like, really? And uh, they said, Dad, it's even got sign language with it. It's like, it does. I said, what's it look like? They say, it looks like this. Whatever major loser. 
So some of your kids may be doing that. Whatever major loser. So I'd like you to turn to the person beside you right now and encourage them by letting them know. No, don't. (laughs) Some of you were getting ready to start. We're in church, folks, okay? We're in church. But this word surrender is always kind of seen as a negative. I'll still never forget the first time I experienced this concept of this idea of surrendering. I think I was about four or five years old, and my parents had left the room, and then all of a sudden my brother pounced on me like a lion on a gazelle. So that's my brother in the back, and that's me in the front. And he pounced on me, jumped on me, threw me to the floor, slammed me down, got me down, put his knees on my arm or on my uh, arms, held me down with his hands, and he's like, "Say it!" I had no idea what to say. He's like, "You say it!" I was like, "I don't know what to say." Say it! And I'm like, "I'll say it." What is it? He's like, "I surrender." I go, "I surrender! I surrender!" And then I started yelling. I'll never forget this. I was like, "Mom, Dad!" Mm, mm. Because he didn't want me to surrender at that point because he didn't want to have to surrender. But he had me down like that. Now, folks, the problem is with this word surrender, it's always seen as weakness or being inferior. Someone's jumping on you, forcing you to do this. It's not so much so surrender in Scripture. It's not so much this image of my brother holding me down and making me to surrender. But actually, the image is more like this. You have a choice to surrender. And you lift your hands up to God. And you're like, God, I can't do this life on my own. I surrender it to you. And so that's why sometimes when you see people worshiping, they lift their hands. Why? Because they're surrendering to God. Sometimes in my prayer life, when I'm praying to God, I'm like, God, I, I can't control anything. And the things that I'm anxious about, I can't control. So, God, I'm lifting my hands up to surrender to you. You acknowledge that. And What happens when you do that, then all of a sudden the focus is not on me, 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 but it's on thee, thee, thee. It's not upon self, but it's on a savior. And you move from asking the question or or repeating the response. This is what I want. This is what I deserve to asking the question. God, what do you want? Now, dads, all the men in our church. I have a question for you this morning. When was the last time you had a moment with your heavenly father, just the two of you, in a quiet place, where you lifted your arms up and you said, God, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to think? What do you want me to surrender? What do you want me to do to put others first in my life? I've shared this with you before, but I have to actually put a sign on the door that leads from our garage into our house that says kneel and pray because I know I need to surrender when I walk into that house that I'd be the best man, the best father, the best son, the best person I can be. The best husband I can be. Well, when you, lose, when you kind of uh, have this selflessness, when you put others first, God will reward you. And also then God will move you to worship, a surrendered worship to him. 
And when you do this, folks, you experience joy. You experience joy. So how can you experience joy in worship? Well, first of all, you exalt Jesus. In other words, that word exalt means to lift him up, to elevate him, to raise him up. You see, the problem, though, when we exalt someone else, that means we're not exalting ourselves. And most of us don't like that. For example, what do you think uh, when it comes to the Olympics, the podium people, first, second, third place, gold, silver, bronze, who is the person that is most disappointed when they're on the podium? Silver. It's always silver. You know why? Because if you're bronze, you're like, dude, I made the podium. And if you're on, if you're gold, you're like, yeah, it's never hard to win, folks. I tell my daughter that all the time. It is never hard to win. Winning is easy. Receiving that is easy. But when you come in second place, what does your character look like in those moments? And if you exalt Jesus, then you basically say, I'm in second place. And I've never known anyone who says, oh man, I love being second place. And that's why surrender is so important. There's a game that uh, I grew up playing that I love to play. You find a big dirt mound, and then you start walking up this dirt mound, and you kick and you push and you throw everyone else down until you get to the top of the dirt mound. And what's the name of that game? King of the Mountain, or Queen of the Mountain in my case, you know, two girls. And the only problem with this game, folks, the only problem with it is that some people take it from childhood to adulthood. And they keep trying to live, trying to be the king of their own mountain. And they'll do this with their families, marriages, school, work. The goal to this whole game is to reach the top. But the strategy is to do whatever it takes to get there. And so many dads, many men, they're tempted to buy into this lie. And what they'll do is they'll be unfaithful to a spouse or they'll ignore their kids or they'll become a workaholic and they'll just become dishonest around other people. Well, let me give you some advice, men. If you didn't know this, dads, if you didn't know this, there's already some on the mountain and he's not coming down. (laughs) He's already the king of the mountain. He's the king of all mountains. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we confess him as Jesus Christ. So the first key is to exalt Jesus. The second thing is to engage others. That you actually engage others if you want to have joy in your worship, to experience joy in worship. Folks, one of the things that gives great pleasure to God is when we serve other people, when we put others first. In a couple of weeks, we'll have our 4th of July outreach, and I would strongly encourage all of you if, you, if you don't have plans, make this your plan. Our family has committed uh, each year to go do this, and my girls love it. And we get invited to a lot of different things on the 4th of July. We just say no because we know the payoff is going to be when they get those glow-in-the-dark necklaces and they get to pass them out and they get to be able to be Christ to other people and show God's love in practical ways to others. And so that's what we've done year after year, and they love it. Now, the only thing that sometimes happens is they have a way of holding a few back at the end. And then all of a sudden they become jump ropes 
and like hula hoops. I'm like, where? You're supposed to give those away, girls. Like, Dad, we gave out, you know, 1,800. Can't we have a few, you know? And so uh, that's the only thing with that. But what a gift you could teach your kids, dads, uh, this 4th of July. What it means to give to someone else and still enjoy all the fireworks of that. Here's the final thought. Worship encourages yourself. It actually encourages yourself. When you get the focus off of yourself and you focus on others, you put others first, and the first one is Jesus himself, you exalt him, encouragement and joy invade your heart. I mean, there is no greater encouragement in life than when we do something to please God. Because pleasing Him and worshiping Him and surrendering to Him is, the why, is, is why you were created and what your purpose is. This past week, my uh, daughter, Jordan, had soccer tryouts. Uh, they had already told her and a few of the other girls that they had made it, but they had a group of other girls that they were going to actually have tryout. And so when uh, they went to tryout, uh, Jordan actually went and played with them, and I said, Hey, Jordan, make sure you encourage all those girls. Get to know them and, you know, let them know that they're, they'll do a good job. And she's like, all right, Dad, I'll do that. And so they had the tryouts. She gets back in the car. We're, we're leaving. She's like, Dad, there's this one little girl that uh, she's moved here, and she doesn't know anyone. Uh, they moved from Hamilton County, and they live here now, and they don't know anyone. I'm like, well, what's her name? And she's like, I don't know. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? You just practice like two hours. You don't know. She's like, yeah, I don't know. Well, we go swimming after this. And wouldn't you know, we go to this swimming pool and we're walking up and this little girl is right there. And I'm like, Jordan, you need to go over and introduce yourself, find out what her name is, you know, kind of do that. Others first, because I'm thinking this whole week, others first, others first. And this is what my daughter said. No. I was like, whoa, 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 that wasn't supposed to work out. Hey. Other stars? No. I'm like, well, Jordan, she doesn't know anybody. I mean, it'd just be good for you to... Nope. I'm like, okay. So I go over, and I'm hanging out with a friend of mine, and then all of a sudden I see her walk over, and she's like, I did it, Dad. Her name's Mallory. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So I'm like, man, this other's first thing. I'm parenting really well. This is good. And so, uh, you know... Found out her name, buzzer rings, pool's getting ready to close, we're walking out. I did not eat much lunch that day. It's almost 9 o'clock. I just want to eat. My stomach's growling. I just want to eat. And we're walking, and I see that little kid, and I see like what I think is her mom and a few other kids. And have you ever done this before? You're walking, and you just want to avoid the person. Don't act like you don't do this, because I've seen some of you do it with me before. And so, so I'm walking out, and I'm like, oh, I just want to avoid this. And then all of a sudden, I get this prompting from the Holy Spirit, others first. I'm like, ah. Oh. So I walk back. I introduce myself. I find out uh, this woman's name is Julie. And I find out her daughter's name is Mallory, and they tell me the story. And I walk out, and I see my wife out there. I'm like, well, here, you can meet my wife. And I'm 
uh, introduce them to Jen. We had some friends that attend here at the jar as well and introduce them to them. And then all of a sudden they get to know each other. And the next day they trade and they start texting back and forth and like hairstylists and doctors and plumbers and all these people going back and forth. They're doing all of this. And uh, Jen did such an awesome job uh, kind of doing that. And do you know how long that took me, folks, to spend that time? Fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes. And I don't know what God's going to do with this family. Maybe one day they'll actually be sitting right here. But I know what it did for our family. There was joy that came. And not just me, but the whole family. You know, uh, growing up as a kid... uh, my parents, since I was a PK, a preacher's kid, they would always come up to me and they're like, now you need to have joy in your life. And you know what the formula is for that, right? Jesus first, others second, yourself last. And I'm like, oh my goodness, whoop-dee-doo, you know, like, oh great, you know. I bet all these other kids that aren't pastor's kids, their parents aren't telling them, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Well, I didn't always listen to that growing up. And as I became an adult, I actually got dyslexia to this whole formula. And many times what I found myself doing was I would have this formula called yoge. (laughs) You want yoges, right? Yourself first, others second, and then maybe... Jesus gets something at the end. And so dads, fathers, men in our church, this is my challenge for you this week. Don't live a yoge life this week. Don't start with yourself and then think about maybe others and then maybe Jesus. Actually live joy. And joy comes when Jesus is exalted. And others are first, and then yourself. Because the truth is, folks, that we have a good, good Father who loves to give good, good gifts to each one of you. And if we ourselves as dads, if we love to give good gifts to our kids, how much more so does our Heavenly Father want to give good gifts to us? And so I was just thinking that on this day of Father's Day, on this Sunday, where this day has many different emotions in it, that we might take a moment and take the focus off of ourselves and to give you an opportunity to put all your focus on your good, good Father who loves you. He loves everyone in this gym, no matter what. And he desires to have a moment where he can give you the gift of joy. So I'm going to invite you to stand right now. And we are going to be able to express our joy to him. Let's see. need to come up. And uh, dads, I was just thinking that if you've never in your life, like really made a commitment to Christ say I'm surrendered to you that I need you 
Jesus in my life. I, and I just don't want to know about you or respect you or even come to church to talk about you. But I want to know you as Lord. Then why would you leave from this place not making that thing right? And so if today you're at a point where you're like, I- I'm ready for that. I'm ready to surrender. I'm ready to ask for forgiveness. I'm ready to actually say, God, I need you to guide my life, to direct my life. Then I'm going to lead us in a prayer here in a moment. And I'm going to invite you to join me in that prayer. And uh, here at the jar, we never pray alone. We always pray together as a family. But if you say this prayer for the very first time, it's your prayer saying, God, I need you. I need you in my life. I need your forgiveness. I need your guidance. I need a second chance. I need your wisdom. I need you to be Lord. And so um, I'm going to invite us in this prayer and we'll just invite you to repeat it after me. Um, Let's pray. Just repeat after me. God, thank you for sending Jesus to save my life. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. You now have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, let's give a hand for everyone who said that prayer for the first time. And if you said that prayer for the first time, back here in this corner, uh, there's someone that just wants to encourage you in your faith, give you a free gift of a Bible, and so you can go back there and do that, or you can come up and ask for prayer for anything. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. Happy Father's Day, everybody.